0: It's time to try a new weapon. You know that guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that too. That's kind of more of a deep cut, yeah. you know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flashback 64, the chronological Nintendo 64 podcast. I am Gooey, joined as always by my co-host, McKenna. Hello. Hello. Hello and we have some great guests for today we uh first we have joining us uh principal game designer at people can fly games jamie smith hello how's it going jamie yeah very
2: good thanks yeah it's evening in the uk but it's nice to meet everybody i'm a big fan of the podcast so I'm happy to chat
1: thank you thanks yeah thank you for thanks for listening thanks for coming on we're excited to have you and it's cool we're gonna have a uh a new perspective on, which will be fun. We are also joined by author, journalist, and podcast host, Alex James Kane. Hey, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Also, fellow uh, fellow Illinoisan, so. Oh, are you out. guys in <laughs> Chicago? We are, Chicago uh, we're in the suburbs, yeah. I grew up actually nice. in northwestern Illinois area, so. Nice. I, saw, oh, okay. I
0: saw you were from like central Illinois, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like forty five minutes from Peoria, that kind of area out west. So okay,
1: yeah, that's not too. I'm like, yeah, I'm not too far. So cool, yeah. It's good. It's good to. It's good to have you, and it's good to have we. Ha- it's cool to have two brand new guests. One thing we like to do, like when we have a b- guest on for the very first time, is to just kind of get their overall backstory. I guess with the topic of our show in general, the N sixty four. So um. Well, Alex, I guess if you want to start it off, how did you encounter this? Was this a big console for you
0: uh, back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of grew up with like Super Mario Brothers 3 on the NES, which was sort of in the living room. And it was sort of my dad's thing, you know, and then one day we sort of went to Kmart and got the 64 and that was the first console that was ever hooked up in my bedroom, um, Star Fox 64 was the first game I ever got as a gift uh, in Ooh. Christmas of '97. So it was the first video game I ever felt like I owned it. It was mine. Was Star Fox 64? Um, so that you know, it's very warm and fuzzy that way. It's sort of that game that um, feels like a little piece of of going going back and going home. You know, that kind of yeah. that weird you know childhood bedroom thing. You know, you can't go back there, but you can replay star Fox 64. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the story as far as, you know, as a big Mario 64 fan, big golden eye fan, big fan of like Banjo Kazooie and mission impossible and Ridge racer. And, uh, you know, it wasn't my first console, but it it will always feel like my first console. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of how I feel too. Yeah. Like, like the first one when you're like, Probably was a prime gaming years, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bringing it home at like what six, seven, eight, you know, yeah. playing it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> same, same. Okay, that's cool. Uh, so, J- Jamie, I'm ex- I'm excited to talk to you as well, because you're. I think you're our first, uh, our first UK guest. Were you, you were living in the UK at the time the N64 was released?
2: Yeah, that's it. I, I was just growing up. So I think when the N64 came out, obviously at that time they had different release schedules in Japan and the US and England and so on. Um, I didn't get one on release. And the story with me is is that uh, I did have a Game Boy before Nintendo S 64 So that was the only Nintendo device I had. But I jumped straight from kind of the 8-bit era to the 64 kind of bit era. I didn't have a PlayStation. I didn't have a Mega Drive, you know, Genesis and things like that. I just jumped straight over. Same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so so for me, I remember I went to school one day. This was maybe I was in primary school, you know, the early third grade or something that you might have in the States. Um, I was seven, eight, nine year old. My parents came to pick me up after school and they had a giant box. And inside that box obviously was the N64. But that was a, a shared presence that we, me and my sister both had because we had a, 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 a kid's kind of bank account and we saved up our little <laughs> pennies and pocket money and we put that money together so we owned the N64 50-50 and then my parents kind of paid the other half that we couldn't afford. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I got an N64 with my first ever game and one of my favorites, which is Diddy Kong Racing. And uh, nice. in, yeah, and then in terms of Lilat was. It, well, I call it Lilat Wars because obviously it's got two different names it's uh, it's it's one of the first games I'd come across where it had different names in different regions and because I'd never played Star Fox before when I hear the name Star Fox I think I have no idea what that game is but when people say Lilat Was, <laughs> it's the sequel uh, so that's pretty cool but um, f- for me, I didn't own Lilat Wars until late in the N64 cycle and there was two main reasons one is that it was a very difficult game to get a hold of in the UK and the second one was if you could get a hold of it you had to buy it with the rumble pack which meant it was an extra 20 pounds you know an extra 30 bucks or Mm -hmm. 45 bucks or something like that and uh, yes I ended up getting it as part of the platinum kind of collection towards the end of its time where they had the new uh, rare kind of box releases and uh, I ended up selling my whole collection and all of those platinum releases are highly sought after (laughs) so that was a big regret (laughs) yeah so that
1: was me. I hate that feeling. Yeah. Like when when you're younger, it's like you don't you don't care about the, the holding on to them as much. And then now now I I'm like I could never get rid of anything, but I still feel yeah. the sting of like all the games I you know, I'm I'm rebuying games now for the show that I used to own and now I'm like this game is 40 bucks. I'm like <laughs> do I really oh, I wish I had it still, you know. Yeah. That's that's cool. Yeah, Lilat Wars. We 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 have that included in our description. So we we we're, we're, we're mm. going to totally leave you out there (laughs) yeah 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 that's cool that's interesting too you brought up the different uh time period or like different release dates like it wasn't all uniform as much as it is now uh and i think you had that you had brought that up i think actually Mm -hmm. like we've been covering the games chronologically on the show but actually at at the time we're like in on our like american release timeline i don't think lilat wars has i don't think it comes out till when was it it was like uh
3: Says October fourth in the Pal region.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's not even out yet, but you know that's okay. We we <laughs> we're not strict. We're doing
3: some time travel. <laughs> A little
1: time travel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> this brings back memories of your dad.
1: But uh, okay, cool. Before we actually talk about the game, let's let's actually talk about the timeline. We've we've got our uh, our patented flashback segment. Yeah. Let's see what's been going on since June twenty sixth, Star Fox comes out June 30th, 1997. I, I mentioned in our last episode um, that I was I was glad to be over the uh, Puff Daddy hill, but I, I don't know what I was talking about. The, the song <laughs> I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy is like, it's like an 11-week <laughs> run at number one, so <laughs> nice. we're just kind of it, and then there's more puff daddy to come later so there's just so much puff daddy i think we mentioned these songs before but it, this so- this time period was uh, i think dominated by the songs Mbop, bitch return of the mac and look into my eyes by bone thugs and harmony uh so we've been we've been jamming those a lot which are mm-hmm. All classics um, for the second week in a row the number one album is still that I don't know I don't know if you guys heard about this this album butterfly kisses we mentioned it yeah. on the last episode yeah, but yeah. it's I don't it's, think so oh yeah it's this it's horrible it's this contemporary <laughs> Christian thing and the single is the song butterfly kisses and it's about his daughter growing up and how much he loves his daughter but it's a little weird how much he loves his daughter really? i
0: couldn't play it for her. i tried to play it for her mom the next morning I had, to, I had to turn the chair around and face away from her i was blubbering through the thing she left the house your daughter did you no know, my wife just left yeah, the house really <laughs> yeah yeah it just made her mad
1: like i don't know it's it's yeah. <laughs> I like I couldn't take it. I couldn't listen. I will never <laughs> listen to the song again, honestly. Other top 5 albums we had at the time. Previous ones we mentioned were Spice Spice Girls. Wu-Tang Forever is still up there. We also had I like the This is interesting uh place name albums. We had the album Everywhere by Tim McGraw and Middle <laughs> of Nowhere by Hanson. Uh the number 1 movie at the time was the John Woo classic face-off, um, (laughs) one of my favorites.
0: (laughs) You want to take his face. Yes. His face.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Followed by, uh, we had Hercules, uh, the Disney animated film and, uh, Batman and Robin, which was number one, I think in our previous episode. So Uh, Still up there. Everyone has Batmania, of course. I also forgot to mention, in our last episode, uh, E3-97 happened in June. And the games, this is just like crazy, all the games they showed off. They showed off Symphony of the Night, Crash Bandicoot 2, Tomb Raider 2, Final Fantasy 7, Parappa the Rappa, StarCraft, Daikatana, Goldeneye, Half-Life, Ocarina of Time, and Metal Gear Solid. (laughs) So, it's like so all nothing the, of note. nothing. Yeah, just a bunch of <laughs> crap. <laughs> no, just like, yeah, it's like crazy. It's like all the greatest games of all time. Maybe I'm saying yeah. that because it I was seven or whatever, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> they made some good games in 1997. <laughs> Other notable games. Actually, I've never, I don't know if either of you have played this game, but I saw around this time Dungeon Keeper came out, which was like an, a uh, Peter Molyneux design yeah. this
2: game is it bullfrog or something i forget exactly which yeah. studio yeah yeah I, I've, I remember playing it at the time right I, I think it's more known of recently to do with the, the mobile kind of rehash that came out um oh there it, is
1: okay yeah, yeah it seemed actually kind of interesting to me i liked i like some bullfrog games uh on the pc when i was younger and i, I like those kind of like sim sort of games. so i don't know i, I wrote it down because well it was the only one that came out i think that day but it seemed cool, so. Uh, okay, other big news events. Uh, June 26th, um, uh, Harry Potter was published, so that's that's not as fun to be, like, nostalgic about now, but um, <laughs> yeah. it was notable, so I put it down. Uh, actually, none of this is very fun. Uh, the Well, June 26th, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds doctor-assisted suicide bans, which I just, I don't know why. I remember at that, I guess there was the dr kevorkian or whatever but i remember all the time as a kid hearing about like doctor assisted suicides it's not something i really hear about anymore like it's not a hot topic but when i was a kid i feel like i feel like i had to like debate it in school and stuff like that and like debate maybe not when i was seven but you know what i mean i was like (laughs) i thought this was gonna be a bigger issue um i'm sure it is for a lot of people but it's not something i hear about as much anymore
0: yeah, the whole narrative about, like, people can just do what they want and bodily autonomy and stuff is very different than it was in the 90s for certain, True. especially especially in sort of, like, you know, more conservative areas and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of – it's a weird radical shift toward, um, you know, people people can kind of just do what they want if they're not hurting anybody, which is – Uh, net net gain i think right yeah it's not something i ever was like i am smart enough to to know about but i think you're right (laughs) (laughs) it was definitely it was one of those boogeymen kind of thing like anything else was in the 90s you know um we were were afraid of a lot of stuff to keep us distracted from (laughs) maybe the the stuff about the 90s that we were totally ignorant of at the time Uh, yeah
1: People were afraid of doom, you know, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) moral combat. It is a new day in Hong Kong. Gone are the British who ruled Hong Kong as a colony for 156 years. And in their place are the Chinese complete with a new legislature and thousands of troops. Uh, June 30th, the British lease on the territories of Hong Kong, uh, expired. And so I think it was July 1st, then Hong Kong, uh, became independent of the UK. Um, that's actually not something like when I, that I really remember like being big like at least like when I was a kid like hearing about a lot but was that was that like a big like story like when you were a kid was that like a big thing Jamie
2: Yeah I'll I'll tell you one thing especially about British people because the kind of the colonialism kind of issues kind of came up recently but when I was in school kind of a similar age to you mentioned if we had an atlas if you ever see the color pink on an atlas, very specifically the color pink that was handed out in the early 90s, all of those countries that were colored pink were related to the colonialism of kind of the British Empire from history. Um, so it's something that we kind of grew up with in the early 90s. But slowly but surely, the Commonwealth and things started to expire. Lots of company, uh, countries started to get their own kind of independence back and things like that. But uh, yeah, it, it was a big thing as we were in school but nowadays, it's something that a lot of people are, c- are trying to kind of shirk from
1: the country. There's like a lot of coping at the time, right? Like exactly. Like they let it go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely. I think we have to, I, I don't know if we'll, we'll talk later, but we definitely have to t- talk about that some on, uh, um, when we're talking about James Bond, I feel uh, like yeah, that's for sure. a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a big cope. Great fox is ready to go. But yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to talk about our main subject. McKenna, are you ready? Are you prepared? Yeah. Tell us about Star Fox mm-hmm. 64, aka Lylat Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Still
3: my first line. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Star Fox 64, also known as Lilat Wars in the PAL region, is a 3D rail shooter in which you'll pilot an R-wing through the Lilat solar system to fight Andross' forces. It is the first game on the Nintendo 64 to make use of the Rumble Pack feature. In addition to the on-rails segments like in the original Star Fox, this game includes all-range mode where you can fly in any direction. In some levels, you'll also pilot a tank vehicle called the Landmaster or a submarine called the Blue Marine. You have three wingmen who you'll have to keep safe to make use of their abilities. Peppy will analyze enemy weaknesses and give you advice. Slippy will analyze boss strength to display a shield gauge, and Falco will allow you to travel through higher difficulty routes. Instead of playing through a set course of levels, your next destination will depend on meeting certain conditions in each level. The game also features three multiplayer modes, point match, battle royal, and time trial, in which players will compete to take out each other or enemy machines.
1: Right on, yeah, so you both mentioned. Like getting, you know, actually getting this game, like at the time, and getting into it. But had you had you experienced with Star Fox, like any of the previous game, the SNES game, I guess, was the only one released at the time.
2: Yeah, unfortunately for me, so I didn't own a, a SNES or kind of yeah. many games like that. There, there wasn't something comparable on Game Boy either, which I did kind of own. But um, you know, effectively, Lilac was, as I knew it, was the first game that I'd come across that was Star Wars with. You know, rabbits and kind of creatures. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't necessarily know it was a, 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 almost like a redux of the Snes version, so I'd never played it. So for me, it was almost like a brand new game.
1: Yeah, I think I think they could get away with that a little bit at the time with the 3D and yeah. stuff. Like there was a lot of games that were like, let's just do like the 3D version of it, basically. Uh, yeah. Alex, what about you? Like you said, this is like coming home. Like is yeah. that your entry point
0: into the series? So. I had a similar kind of thing where I went from the NES to the 64 and kind of skipped that very like mainstream, usually like people who write about games for money. (laughs) Like though, you know, they all started with the super NES, but I, I barely played the super NES growing up except for, you know, a handful of games that I really loved, like pilot wings or like Robo Trek. But yeah, like I I think we played it at a friend's house, uh, sort of a couple years after Star Fox 64. So I'm, a little bit familiar with it and how it's kind of like the prototype and the story is kind of uh, you know, I think they pulled from both of those super NES games or, or prototype if you want to call the second one that um, um, to, to make the 64 plot. But um, yeah, to me it was just kind of like a new thing. Mm-hmm. And really, I don't think I had played shooters, you know, notably, you know, or maybe if I did, it was like, uh, there was like a jet fighter, um, like dog fighting game. You guys might have covered that one. I, I I'm not sure, not, but not um, yet. Is it uh, Arrow Fighters okay. Assault? Is that the one? I,
1: I Wait, think that was the one. Up. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, I might have played that before Star Fox. Mm, okay. Potentially, I don't know. My memory is blurry, but yeah, to me, Star Fox is kind of like my first shooter. My first science fiction game oh right uh, yeah, and yeah de- definitely my first encounter with the series it was just I don't know if I even asked for it for Christmas you know it was just sort of uh, like my main Christmas gift uh is kind of my memory and maybe my dad thought it looked cool I, I couldn't really tell you um it does look cool but I to be it, fair so it hit you know <laughs> yeah
1: um was it you said like it's like like was it like something you were immediately like I, I love this game and you were just deep into it
0: yeah i think hmm. so uh, there were a couple main reasons uh i don't want to like cut into like your later outline for the no, show no, but please like um you know there were things that are very notable about star fox that um kind of made it novel like so there's a lot of voice acting in super mario 64 but i think that star fox in particular it's like it's a two-hour game or three-hour game so it's sort of like structured like a feature film oh, and yeah. like every line is every line is voice acted i think which you know was weird for a 64 game so it it was kind of like playing a top gun star wars kind of thing right like it's a it's a movie that you get to <laughs> control the character and you can sort of make that corny generalization about a lot of those games but um definitely it was kind of novel at the time the way it was doing things it was sort of like you know if you look at swat cats or, or <laughs> uh, um that kind of media yeah that f- sort of fits this you're kind of like sort uh, of vibe
1: you know uh some like bantering with your buddies as you do cool action things in space mm-hmm. yeah. type vibe
0: yeah yeah the, the characters feel rich because you know you don't live with them for 15 hours necessarily it's kind of like they give you just the right amount, and and I don't think there's any sort of like throwaway bad writing in Star Fox sixty four that like jumps out of me. It's like it's all kind of memorable, funny, corny stuff, right? Yeah, like, it's uh it's very good sort of cartoon dialogue. Um, yeah, that you know, my dad could probably quote those lines. <laughs> he probably hasn't played the game for twenty years, and he could quote the game. You know, there are there are some lines that it's
1: like some of the things they say it's it is it's all it's some classic stuff like to the point where some of it is you said corny some of it is like okay I've, like this is a line that is just from star wars you know what i mean like they just yeah. but it's but it's also like very you know some of the writing even in star wars is like the very obvious thing to say you know like uh it's iconic now but you know like i got a bad feeling about this like that said yeah it's like yeah. well yeah okay like everyone says that in everything now, you know? But yeah, I, I like I, the uh, the voice acting. I feel like all the characters, like we mentioned this in our, we, we talked about the SNES game uh, in a previous episode that, that hasn't come out at the time of this recording, but like all the characters kind of say the same thing to you, but they have to like find a way to like make it you know like unique to that character which i think is pretty cool jamie what about you when like you first played it was it like um, did it become one of your favorite games right away or was it later on down the line or what was your immediate yeah, reaction but, to playing it
2: probably late on mostly because i, I bought it kind of late on at at the time mm-hmm. i was a little bit snobby with n64 games because we had a uh, uk games magazines that would rate games you know of 100 like they always would but I would try stick to the stuff that had the Nintendo Seal approval, and then it had a ninety rating. Mm-hmm. And Lylat was was one of those. But the downside was, as I said earlier, the price was extremely expensive. You know, compared to other stuff. Um, but when I first jumped into it, the, the the main takeaway, and it still stuck with me to this day, is you choose your own route through the game. As mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, there's some stuff. You know, there's some conditional factors as to which way you can go. But I remember for Mario 64, it effectively had two endings, which was the ending that most people get, and then it's the ending where if you get the 120 stars and it's almost like the secret kind of ending. That's what I remembered from all these years from this game is there is almost this giant weird floating space creature thing at the end that most people won't see and you certainly won't see it on your first time playing through the game so that for me was always the desire to come back to it not necessarily because it was a great game but because there was something that was hidden that I was looking to always find and it's right at
1: the end of the game and they like they do tease you with it too I mean you you pulled up the manual and even Mm -hmm. tells you like how to get every route too which I thought Mm -hmm. was interesting but that's cool to me like They're, like, laying the challenge in front of you, you know? I guess now they would put it, like, in the menu on the game. Like, hey, beat this, and you can open this level. But making it slightly secretive was kind of cool, too, I think.
0: And there's a handful of them, right? There's different routes that you can kind of there's more than one pivot point, right? It's not just go left or right. It's like, mm-hmm. yep. you have to get mission accomplished at like a variety of, of uh, mm-hmm. like pivotal endings. I think I, I couldn't figure out quite what they were. Cause I was just sort of playing on autopilot, <laughs> sort of like muscle memory and, uh, and just sort of happened to get accomplished every time I kept expecting to like fail one and then have to sort of bring it back and find like, okay, how do I get back on the, uh, the hard path and, I guess i got really lucky um this this most recent playthrough but yeah i think there's like a bunch of different paths you can ultimately take it's not just two right yeah there's so and then there's some where
1: you can kind of bounce in and out of you know like oh you could go down to the easier route if you fail this or you don't do this so there's kind of like three and they sort of can vary even on those branches which i think is pretty cool like We talked about in the SNES game, it has a cool way of handling difficulty as well, where it's like you pick a route and then it can be a totally different game. Uh, In here, it's like, especially if you're not looking up where, what you need to do, like you could just be playing it and experience the game one way and then play it again and experience it a different way just by either doing better or worse. And I sort of like how it is a bit more like, it's like open but, like, you don't necessarily know how. And I like that. It, like, sort of, like, like you mentioned, Jamie, it sort of, like, encourages you to, like, try it again, play it again. It's still, like, like the original game. It's kind of, like, it has its arcade, like, roots there still. Yeah. It's, like, the most cinematic arcade game you could play. Well, not really, <laughs> but it's it's <laughs> approaching that. <laughs> what, was, what was your, McKenna, your, like, like i guess you is this your first star fox i think that you've ever played like the i guess the two we've three we've played
3: yeah just just in the past two months has you, been my first star you, Fox. you weren't experience. really that familiar
1: with star fox okay. no
3: mostly from uh smash, smash. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a lot of people like of a certain age like actually that's that was my kind of like i play i played it and stuff as a, as a kid but like it wasn't a game I owned, and it it wasn't one I got deeply into. And so I think, for me, my main, like, interaction with the Star Fox franchise was playing as the characters in Smash, who I didn't even really like to play as as much either. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I always thought Star Fox was cool, just as a, you know, uh, you mentioned, like, it was like a sci-fi game. Like, it was just a cool sci-fi game to play as a kid, you know, where I didn't experience that as much, like, as an like, Nintendo N64, like, they didn't have Metroid, you know, so there wasn't a lot of that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's one of those weird properties that, like, Nintendo uses it in their branding really heavily in Smash or, like, mm-hmm. when you're choosing your avatar on Switch Online or whatever for your profile. But then they only put out a game for it once every, you know, what's it been since, like, 2015-ish since yeah, they did the Wii U game. And yeah. Yeah, so... It's not like they pump these things out like Animal Crossing or Pokemon like it's rare that we get one and then the last one was kind of uh critically panned at the time because people hate motion controls so um yeah it's 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 weird how you know you just sort of go back and and play the old ones if you if you really love the series I guess yeah I got really excited about that that last game on the Wii U just cuz like
1: I hadn't fully played, like, a Star Fox game, really, like, other than the the bits I had played, and I was like, all right, new Star Fox game, I'm, like, finally ready, and I, like, I didn't really love it myself. I don't mind motion yeah. controls, but I thought the, like, two different views thing was a little too much, so it, it kind of was, a, it was just disappointing that it wasn't,
0: like, what I was hoping for you know I was like yeah ready. I didn't finish it yeah. <laughs> my brain couldn't figure it out quite but uh, you know it was beautiful to look at but it, yeah. yeah playing it was weird it
1: was weird to play well, uh, McKenna what was your like what was your initial reaction to like playing like what did you how did you feel about it
3: Uh, so I think immediately uh, you know, you start the game and there's just there's a cutscene like a cinematic cutscene which we haven't been yeah. seeing much of so far in our nintendo 64 journey and mm. uh along with the you know the voice lines the voice acted lines that we've been talking about uh everything everything just has like a level of polish a little bit above a lot of the other games we've played like yeah it feels like it has that like nintendo polish like along with uh super mario 64
1: yeah which you yeah. don't you don't expect that one to be as like cinematic necessarily so yeah this has that feeling and it's also like yeah it like a lot of other games have felt like that we've played in the timeline so far have been like like arcade ports that Mm -hmm. or like ports of a game that was maybe better on another console i'm sure there's a lot of that on n64 but like yeah like getting to this one it was like this is this is kind of like what a game that feels like it's made for the system and it like really like mm-hmm. shows off what's great about n64 mm-hmm. and uh
3: yeah. the the koji kondo music as well the music i think style. that that the music kicked in and i was like oh this is like ocarina of time style music
1: yeah it has like the same like kind of sound a lot as of like the op-
3: cadences and-
1: yeah yeah, it's it's like if you didn't know you you could think it was a Zelda soundtrack for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about so the music. Yeah, the music is really great. Um, the we talked about kind of the like the characters and like I think just like the the sort of like overall presentation of Star Fox is really cool. We mentioned um, in our SNES episode where we talked about the SNES games that uh, part of the like inspiration for like the design of like the character artworks was like the uh, Thunderbirds and like the old like marionette style shows, and that is like sort of not as much present here, but it still has like they all have kind of like a puppet like vibe when their mouths are moving. They're still kind of flapping and stuff like that. So there's overall like there's sort of like a a charm to like the way the the style like the style of the characters in the world come across. Like it has a very like cool, like it's stylized for a time where like pretty much everything has, like there's not really a lot of like hyper-realistic games anyway at the time but I don't know, it's got like a very cool vibe I think.
2: When you said about creatures as well, it reminds me of the uh, the guy in Star Wars, you know, the fish guy and he's kind of like, it's a trap and it, it's it's <laughs> when, you, when you see him say that his whole face stays completely still except for his mouth yes. and I think that's that, that, that's how it felt like with some of the characters in this is they their expressions are either completely still their heads tilt to the side or their mouths just kind of flap up open.
1: Yeah, I think they even say that line in the game, right? They do say yeah. it's a yeah. trap. <laughs> Star Wars is definitely a big... It's mm-hmm. it's obviously a big influence. It couldn't not be, yeah. but um, we even... In our last episode, we saw that the same day as the original Star Fox game came out, actually a, a game called X-Wing came out. It was a Star Wars flight simulator game. Uh, but I, this playing these games often makes me think of that one star Wars arcade game where you're kind of like pilot. It's like a sort of the, you know, line line style graphics. I forgot what that's called, but you know, you're
2: vector vector vector
1: graphics. graphics, Yeah. That it like makes me think of that, like, especially the original game, but like star Wars is definitely, I was watching an interview with, um, uh, Dylan Cuthbert, who is like the lead designer on this. And, and they, mentioned to him they're like star wars must have been a big influence and uh i don't know if it's just the vibe i got but he was like well a lot of sci-fi stuff influenced this but i was like you could just say you know star star wars was an influence like it's not i mean he wasn't really trying to hide it but it feels like the most like the most inspired or like outside inspiration on this with all the lines and you know, yeah,
3: the, the vibes. The, like, last cutscene with the, like, oh, kind of award thing is, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, directly taken <laughs> yeah, like, from that. The, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: the whole Venom section on is very, very Star Wars to me. Yeah, with the the father and the mm-hmm. kind of go- descent into the unconscious <laughs> and this sort of weird underworld and, you know, this sort of cyborg element to the bad guy. And, and yeah, definitely just that idea of the your vanished father is, you know, mm-hmm. is he dead? Is he alive? <laughs> and, and just kind of confronting all that stuff. That's, it's very like Luke Skywalker yes. in the cave in empire strikes back. You know, it's that very same thing of like, Oh, we got to go to the scary place, you know, venom. And that's where my dad died. <laughs> and you know, the, all that kind of, uh, like Jungian psychology that they're playing with. Yeah. So. There's all those, like
1: there's the, you know, they're, they have those almost, they remind me of star Wars instead of like saying, use the force. They're like, you know, believe in yourself or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Your father helped me like that. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. That, that ending. Well, so we all, we all had different, like kind of routes you, we were talking about before we started the episode. Like, so we might've experienced different things. So I don't know. I think, the, there's like an escape sequence in the end on the hard route. I don't know Jamie, did you experience that well how was what was your route like when you played recently?
2: Yeah, so for my so before I jump back into the game I, I double checked that apparently there's twenty five different possibilities that you can oh. go through uh, and then wow. i I started along the easy route, which is on the map as you look at it. it's the bottom route. so there's the first level, then the meteor kind of route, and then you can kind of go to the center from there. And there's a couple of choices that you can take where sometimes it actually says, do you want to switch? Uh, sometimes it's conditional on, you know, killing enemies or wherever it may be. But there's a couple. So I went towards the center and that gets you to the solar level, the solar level where it's just a giant planet of the sun. There is yeah. almost nothing to kill on that level. You d- it's just about survival and kind of shooting things to kind of keep your health up because it's a constant health drain and then uh shortly after that i was in a space level again i think it's in the center of the map and then by the time i got to venom venom is where i found a big difficulty spike i mean something we'd we'll come back to chat about later on about the difficulty in the game but um I didn't do the you know the, the the run into the you know the ship towards the end mm-hmm. that's that's almost like venom part 2 or something and you need some certain conditions to get that kind of route so i kind of started at the bottom Went to the middle and got the standard kind of ending for oh, mine, yeah. and I think on the on the list it's like route twelve or something like that was the one <laughs> I took, and twenty five is the hardest. That
1: that is wild. Twenty five is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So a- Alex, you experienced sort of like the the harder route, right?
0: Yeah. So I, I was mostly on the like left side or the top side, whichever way you're looking at the solar system, but um, mm-hmm. I, I kept thinking that I had to do like really specific things that I remembered from my childhood. Like you got to go under these archways and if you miss one, you're screwed or like you have to kill every one of the um, sort of what clamshells in the underwater level. And and I kept thinking like I failed some of those objectives that were in my head, even if I wasn't totally sure. And then I would still get the accomplished. So it might've been score based. Um, so I are Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, like I did end up on the the sun level, I think. No wait. Okay. No. No, I didn't. I think I skipped that and went to the there's like the toxic ocean with like the <laughs> the pirate ship guy with the crane. So maybe you get that instead of the sun. I don't actually remember going to the sun on uh what was it Tuesday last week. Um so yeah, that is
1: a wild level like Jamie kind of mentioned like that it it had a different feeling cuz you you just couldn't go low because it was too hot, you know? So that was, yep. like, I was kind of surprised. Like, the game in general, like, throws a lot of kind of, like, twists and turns where I thought I would, you know, I thought I would just be, you know, shooting and dodging things. I knew there was going to be some variety, but I was kind of uh, blown away by, like, sort of like an environmental effect type thing, you know? Don't yeah. fly
0: too low. Like, that was surprising to me. And a lot of the boss fights, it's just sort of like a you know like a little robot or spaceship type thing and it's not that scary but the the big monster on the sun is pretty terrifying it's like this giant what praying mantis thing that can apparently withstand a lot of heat so it's huge the
1: bosses do have i think cool designs i think that that was something that they have been really good at um throughout the series so far it's like uh some of them are there's not much to them it's like shoot the glowing spot but just that they all they all have sort of a unique they do they kind of remind me of like zelda bosses where they they have a unique sort of gimmick to them that's memorable some of them are more memorable than they are like challenging but some are some are actually pretty tough too is there some Is there some bosses that you like
3: yeah one one that uh was more memorable for me was uh you're you're in the Landmaster, and uh, it's like a... I don't know what the planet is. It's like a sand planet, but you're, like, driving through and fighting all these enemies, and mm-hmm. I think you're going to save Peppy.
1: Yeah, there's one where if, if you, like... There's one where you can, like, lose Peppy. I think it's, like, optional, and then that yeah. leads to another one where you have to go save Peppy, which is... That's a pretty cool way of... To- yeah,
3: so you're in the Landmaster, and you have to, like... You can, like, uh, use your jetpack like thing (laughs) to like fly up and uh you know roll and avoid this uh this monster's attacks it kind of some of the bosses feel like almost like zelda bosses yeah Yeah. like they're almost like prototype ocarina of time bosses
1: yeah for sure (laughs) i definitely can see that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so like with the well you mentioned the the different vehicles that was also pretty cool that was something like there was the sort of in star Fox two, which didn't get released, um, sort of had that switching between the, uh, Walker and the ship, but this one, like kind of, it was, I thought it was kind of cool. Like it designed whole unique levels around it. And that was something that I was like, always kind of appealed to me about it as a kid. Like it, it, it was so simple, but like, Oh, you, there's like a tank level. That's that kind of blew my mind, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I think that's cool that they like k- kind of had like these bespoke <laughs> different vehicles. You'd only some of them you only drive once, but it made for a more like I guess more variety. Made it more cinematic. It really made it feel like yeah, like bigger than the previous game. Yeah,
2: it, it also suggests that they're not just pilots as well. You know they're adept at doing different mm. things. Um, but I, I remember when I got to the tank level. It was a bit strange for me because I, I forgot about the level entirely. I, I played it again recently, and uh, it doesn't tell you the controls until partway through the level, which is not <laughs> ideal kind of either. So I'm killing the enemies, and you get the kind of the gold circles that you can pick up to to expand your health. The first two or three of those, I just didn't pick them up until I started to kind of hammer on every single button on the pad. And then just as I start to do that, our Peppy chips in and says, Hey, if you want to float in the air, push the shoulder buttons or something. Um but but it, it feels like you're not supposed to learn the controls, or or at least you're not supposed to master that level the first time through. Yeah. Because they're <laughs> artificially delaying how long they tell you before what the controls are. You know, before that point you have to guess.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think that was that that was intentional because it's like they want it to have like the I guess for me, it made me think of an arcade game where we we were at the arcade this weekend and, you know, we were like, all right, let's play, we're like, let's play Popeye. And we start playing Popeye and like, you know, okay, let's walk. Oh, no, here you get blasted off the screen because you didn't know this was going to happen. You know, (laughs) there is something about like the trial by fire learning the game that's fun, but maybe it's frustrating when you're like, you could just have told me that
2: yeah yeah and I I think another part of it is obviously they didn't have many loading screens because the game is loading so fast (laughs) off the kind of the solid state so so they couldn't rely on that kind of thing but even when you start a level if you are getting swarmed by enemies the last thing that you want is kind of you know slippy shouting something in your ear (laughs) I think I think they're also looking for like kind of moments of downtime or something as well and if they said to you you know jump in the air and you can hover as a player, you would think, "Why would I want to do that?" Unless there's a collectible or something there. So there's got to be a kind of like a timing of when they do it and an introduction. Uh, but, but for me personally, I just had to play with the controls, find out how it works. Then I got told after the fact, and it was at that point I wished I could just restart the level because now I know the controls. And you know, like like you mentioned earlier, if you miss a bridge or you miss a pickup, you could you could blame Peppy for that. As opposed to,
1: yeah, you know, you did the player. It's fun to blame the the characters a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: They sure blame you for... They do! <laughs> yeah.
1: Actually, I did say, yeah, I said earlier, like, they all say the same thing in different ways, but also, like, sometimes they are all kind of the same in, in the way that they're annoying sometimes. <laughs> like, overall, I think, like, I think the added dialogue and, like, the actual voice audio is, like, it's like a big step up from the last game, but sometimes I hear the like they're on my tail like too much. I'm like I know I'm coming. I'm trying to help you. Uh, please, please leave,
0: let let me alone. Please leave me be. <laughs> you, you saved <laughs> Falco's life, and he's like, I guess I should be thankful. Like he's just pissed <laughs> off that you saved him. I do
1: like I do like that he's kind of got that chip on his shoulder. That that is yeah. pretty cool. At least like the other characters are, you know more grateful so i'll give him that (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah is there like um we kind of talked about the characters but is there like does anyone have a favorite character in the game who i guess you don't get to pick one to play as but who would you play as if you could peppy for sure peppy yeah he's like the he's the wise one i kind of like that yeah (laughs) they do a good job i actually think they do a good job with like kind of the you know they they all are kind of like have the they're all sort of based in these much like the dialogue based in like kind of these archetypes or like these trope kind of elements but like i think they do a good job of like having each of the characters sort of embody the thing they're tr- from like movies or whatever that they're trying mm-hmm. to convey and i think like yeah peppy is kind of the uh the obi-wan kenobi <laughs> yeah or something yeah, totally really works <laughs> Um, I y- mean uh Slippy's Jar Jar <laughs> they're yeah that's like this the kids are gonna love this guy that's what they're thinking Yep. except I I, I mean well you know I love Slippy I'll say Slippy is probably my when in Star Fox 2 that's who I play mm-hmm. as but Jamie do you have a favorite of the characters
2: yeah in, in some ways uh, I do like Slippy in the sense that he has lots of kind of funny lines more than anything else um I think there's one of them I jotted down, not not the line itself, but the the, the notion of it. There's one moment where you you're flying on the kind of the solar planet, uh-huh. and it says, "Oh, please keep up with me." You know, um, our our ships are really good at kind of manifesting heat so that they won't burn and things. And then literally thirty seconds later, Slippy says, uh, "It's too hot in here." So there's <laughs> always like loads of contradictions, uh, you know, with Slippy. But but if I could choose, I probably would choose Slippy more so because i think that i've kind of funny voice lines that you would hear more often but from the character's perspective not having oh. them shouted at you because even that when you mentioned with falco and you, you know he save his life and he seems to kind of throw it back in your face i would prefer that i was falco shouting that out to somebody else as opposed to sh- somebody shouting out at me and it's the same thing with slippy I don't want Slippy to say the annoying lines
1: to me. I want I it to be project it,
2: <laughs> Pro- yeah, project it outwards.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people as kids probably wish they were like Falco, being like the cool, snarky one, right?
2: Iceman. yeah, Ice yep, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's, yeah, again, another classic archetype that they're getting across. There. Did you have a favorite? Rivali? Re- <laughs> Rivali yeah, Rivoli in in the new Zelda games, definitely. People, I mean, that's the obvious comparison. People. I
3: guess you know what. I, what I wish is that they had brought the two characters from Star Fox Two.
1: Yeah. What the hell? The two,
3: they just they just <laughs> dropped them. That that seems silly. That was the
1: weirdest <laughs> thing. Is that they well, and then they they did have they did introduce a new girl character in this one, but that was was annoying. All her lines were just about how she's a girl. <laughs> 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 it's like the wor- that was the worst writing I think where everyone's just like look out I'm a girl <laughs> and that's all anyone had to say about her
0: it felt like she was a love interest from- Yeah,
1: yeah it's like <laughs> oh she's cool and badass it-, it was like very Lola Bunny though where it's like but she's, she's also like a, a hot Fox. You know? I got
0: the vibe that she was like Falco's like ex or something. and he's like an, Annoyed and embarrassed that she's showing up. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's just something I've assumed from years of playing it, but not really looking too deep into like the anime or any of that stuff. But. Oh yeah. The
1: anime there's, there was also, I think it was for the SNES. There was like a comic that they ran. Yeah. Nintendo power. I mean, yep. I wanted to read that and I never got around to it, but. Uh, that does kind of bring to mind like I do I guess we already talked about the characters but sort of I just love kind of the implications of of the re- reality of this and, and like there there are little tidbits that feel like you know they didn't really have, have to include this for the story but there's just all these kind of like little details that I really appreciate like how uh, you know I like the idea that it was uh Pigma who used to be on the Star Fox team who betrayed Peppy and and uh, James McLeod, you know I, I kind of like these different little dynamics that you know they, like they didn't really have to include that
0: to, yeah. for the game to be great but it just adds a little bit more and Andrew is like Andross like Nepo baby nephew <laughs> right like <laughs> like I think it's his uncle oh, um, yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think it, so that-
3: yeah, I think it talks about it in the game manual.
1: In the manual, or yeah. Somewhere. Also a good place. Where That's it? a good place if you want to know the controls. You just go go to that manual. This <laughs> that, game has
3: a really nice manual.
1: It's one of the coolest manuals that we've covered for sure. Like some of the it's again, it's just that that extra level of polish where you're like it feels maybe it's it, it is too cuz like some of the other games like they're just kind of adapted or whatever or they're ported, you mm-hmm. know, but this feels like like the presentation of even the manual is like top notch. It
3: feels like a game manual, like that I'm nostalgic about.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> but even though it's like, you didn't dang, know, they it. don't
3: have game manuals anymore. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Like I yeah. wish they don't make them like they used it's
3: just, to. It's got a nice level of detail and it's got artwork in it.
1: Yeah, like actual artwork.
3: Mm.
2: I, I used to pour over the manuals, kind of back to front, because where where I was, uh, we'd have a town center. And at the time, I'd either get the bus there and back, or I'd get a, you know a lift with my, my parents or something. And the even when you just take the manual out, just the smell of almost like the the, the paint or whatever the you know the printing kind of stuff yeah. is that, that that alone is the kind of the nostalgia for me. But as you mentioned, I didn't have the the manual to kind of hand this time round. But certainly in that day, I would be reading through all of the character bios, all of the controls. Sometimes they would have a cheat menu. They would have notes pages at the end of the uh, the, the booklets so you could write your
0: own kind of manual notes yeah. and things. Um, yeah, that was super cool.
2: Yeah, Nintendo
0: yep. really went all out with like the professional illustrations too for like oh, yeah. Star Fox mm-hmm. and um, especially for Ocarina of Time, I would say is kind of the peak of oh, those yeah. sort of official artwork being in like manuals and, and strategy guides and things. It starts to get less interesting after this era in my opinion too like
1: with the art because it's like i mean some people don't just do this but a lot it just became like just pictures of the models of the the character models or whatever where like yeah in up until now there's some like abstraction to it that like i actually think adds to the vibe of the game itself where it's like you're playing it and then you're like imagining the art style that you're seeing and it just feels like i don't know it feels like you're like looking in on like a different world but you can you don't see it exactly the way like you're supposed
0: to i don't even know how to describe that feeling but there's, there's
1: some mystery to it you know
0: yeah if there's good illustrations like accompanying the game in some way or some other kind of multimedia aspect it it gives the sense of like a world that exists as opposed to you know here i am uh and the fairy is waking me up and i'm supposed to go talk to this tree or or whatever you know it's like (laughs) no this is like a big fantasy world and here's the map you know check out this map right that kind of thing so um, it feels
1: almost like when i see you see like like portraits of people from like 300 years ago you know what i mean and you're like that's like i don't know you're looking at a picture of george washington or something you're like this is, kind of, this is what he looks like, kind of, but not really, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's a weird comparison, but... um, I like, you know, I like the art style of our, our early presidents. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, what did you think about the, the b- bouncing around, the difficulty, like, did everyone like, find that like, when you're playing, Jamie, maybe you could speak to this, like, that it was like, sort of matching your gameplay, like, was that did that add a lot to the actual level, like experience level to level?
2: Yeah, I mean the, the the difficulty is actually the stuff I've got the most kind of notes about in general. In the sense that I mm-hmm. the, the 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 path I took, I kind of just fell into that path. I wasn't necessarily trying to take a, a specific route. Um, as you mentioned, like the variety was more interesting to me than, than maybe the challenge. And aside from a couple of kind of s- certain bosses, but uh, some some things I did notice, which is pretty cool and it it's it's a bit subtle but you can see this if you let your health go down your your number of lives and you let that get to zero the number of item drops that you will get that will boost your ship will increase quite significantly well, and uh, i got i got down to zero so it's basically got some kind of dynamic difficulty in the game which is pretty cool that even if you're having a hard time that it will kind of help you in the moment but the persistence of some things in the game can make life very very punishing so you'll collect items that will give you extra health but then you go to the next level your health resets yeah but if you if you accidentally shoot falco uh, he is out for the next mission so there is some stuff that persists across levels there is some stuff that does not persist and i think the it, because of that inconsistency of rules you can screw yourself over and uh, I think one of the reasons I got stuck on the Venom level was because I had a really powerful weapon, and I th- I can't quite remember if your weapon does persist or not, but when you start Venom, if you fail it, you go back to the default gun, the, the mm. default kind of firing lasers, and that makes it extremely difficult. It's a bit like you said earlier with the old arcade games, like you know, Bango-Eye or Darius or something, you get these ships that have... 600 guns on them you know it's like rocket raccoon and then when you die <laughs> you go back to just using the pea shooter you know the spud gun or something
1: that's something i i definitely sh- i struggle with that a lot especially when i was playing uh the the original one on snes like uh the harder uh routes especially like there were somewhere if i lost the like dual gun it would be like it's it's over and it's like you know, so I, I'd have to tr- I'd have to get as far as I could perfectly. On this, I feel like just in general, uh, the the difficulty. This I feel like this happened kind of gradually, but maybe the transition from like SNES to N sixty four and on, like they kind of toned down the overall difficulty. So I I had I did have some big moments like that, but it wasn't as like. I think because the game sort of adjusted, it wasn't as brutal. I guess it wasn't as like make or break comparatively. I guess for the SNES compared to the SNES game, but it definitely still yeah. that does persist for sure. Um, yeah, Alex, how was you like? What what did you notice like well, about you? You said you you
0: didn't even feel like you could get the different routes, right? I, I sort of like lucked out and just ended up getting mission accomplished every time. So I think it was just because I was shooting at everything I could possibly and, (laughs) and kind of like slightly deprioritizing, like whether I saved anybody. And so by the end, I, I lost two of them in the fight with star wolf, like, you know, before the Andross fight in the hard version of venom. Um, yeah. So in the hard mode version of venom, instead of having like the first half of the level, you just fight, star wolf come back and like they might have like cyborg attachments and they have like upgraded <laughs> ships that are really hard to catch up with so like yeah your, your sort of dog fighting flight skills are really put to the test i guess you could say and um yeah so when- i ended up losing like falco and slippy or you know Ooh. two of them there um but I, I just like the way that they treat it as like mario style power-ups i guess where yeah if you have those like twin blue lasers like you feel so badass and then you get (laughs) your wing clipped off and it's like oh i'm like really weak now so it's sort of like going from what fire flower mario to uh you know small mario who's one hit from death you know that kind of feeling of uh being really punished um but also you know the baseline difficulty is is not as terrible as a lot of N64 shooters probably though. if we go back and play like normal or hard mode you know I think Mm. Goldeneye revisiting Goldeneye was like a fun kind of uh, benchmark for that the N64 difficulty like how uh, it has kind of the Elden Ring approach to like we trust you to just sort of figure stuff out in a way that (laughs) modern games don't but at the same time it fluctuates wildly from like easy to difficult depending on the mission and yeah just that sense of variety like um like golden eye has the timed like the whole place is going to explode if you don't do this in three minutes kind of mission and and Fox has that with like the missiles that are coming at the great fox and so you have to stop Mm -hmm. these like nuclear warheads in space or or else like you know in 60 seconds everybody dies that kind of thing so um i always find that to feel more difficult than a lot of yeah, they're sort of uh dodging and weaving kind of uh, sections but that that aspect of the the difficulty where it's like um
1: you have to do it in a specific time or like there there's a couple levels where it's like oh you have to like fly through all these rings or something like that to, to yeah. progress like that that kind of i did find like tricky and it was I, that was actually kind of frustrating if i messed it up because i'm like Well, I don't want to. Do I want to burn a life and try again? You know, that that did make it a little frustrating for you. Like, what was was there? I know you had some trouble with some (laughs) of the difficulty, right?
3: Yeah. um, Well, I think it helped that like we played through the game together. So
1: we did. Yeah, we played it a couple different ways.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, that's we first played it like on N sixty four, just on on our rig on our real-life N64, and that was fun. That's, like, one of the best ways we can play... Certain games lend themselves better to that. Like, some games are like, yeah, it's probably just better if we play co-op or we play on our own, but this was one that was, like, fun to pass back and forth, especially if Mm -hmm. one section is giving you trouble and, Mm -hmm. you know, so the other person can try it, because sometimes someone just tries something you didn't think... That's That's Mm -hmm. one thing with the difficulty is there's certain, like... Uh, enemies that I'm like, f- where it's like, I can't tell if I'm doing the right thing to kill them. And I'm trying oh, different definitely. things and I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, so that gave me a lot of trouble. Um, but then, one thing I would say is that this game, I played it over and over on Christmas break, just on Switch handheld. And I played it over and over and over. Um, and once, you know, once I did know those little tricks on certain enemies like I was pretty regularly just like blasting through the like even the hard mode um and there was just stuff that I thought I would never beat and then I would learn like something silly that I didn't know and I was like oh okay I'll just try this you know <laughs> like I didn't notice something something was working and then oh okay it's actually simpler than I thought it was
2: it's a, it's a weird one because it's almost like a mix of different things you've got the you know the precision shooting kind of element the the pattern recognition you know you've got to remember this type of enemy mm. goes this route if you play a certain level oh i need to be on the left hand side because that's where the first group of enemies are going to spawn and then i need to go in the top corner because the laser is going to hit me or something yeah but um but, but another thing i was testing earlier as well is um i'm not 100 percent, but on old arcade games at like robotron and things if you have a spaceship only a tiny circle right in the center of the spaceship will actually take the damage. So it's very generous on the player. It's not the spaceship that takes the damage. It's it's the tiny little cockpit or something. Mm-hmm. But I think in this, not only does the spaceship take damage, but if a missile is fired towards you, I'm pretty sure if the if the missile hits the camera or the camera line where the camera is, you take damage off that. Ooh. And that's why with some things... You can't actually avoid them. You have to physically shoot them. And even if you try move out the way, the ship move out the way, they will still hurt you, even though you physically don't see it make contact. Oh, that's tough. Okay. Yeah, wow. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does that. It's yeah, there's pretty... a big
0: beam that shoots out of that sort of satellite thing near the <sighs> end of the yeah. game, too. And I think that has that same effect where it's the camera or the R-Wing that does sound right.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. Some of those it's like, I'm just constantly barrel rolling, hoping to survive. <laughs> yeah. through get the
2: iFrames. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it worked yeah. honestly in a lot of, a lot of sections, yeah. but there's some where it's, it's funny though. Cause then there's some where I'm like, I'm doing that. and It's not working. And I'm like, hold on, maybe if I, let's just slow down and pay attention to this level. And then I end up not having like that hard of a time. You know, I get so like certain games, I guess require you to kind of like change up your, uh, your strategy, you know, and I'm, yeah. I I get stuck in one where I'm like, I, I guess it worked more in like the SNES Star Fox uh, where it was like, I just always needed to be barrel rolling to survive and it like kind of stuck with me a little bit going into this one.
3: Yeah, I yeah. think uh I mentioned in our SNES uh, or Star Fox, Star Fox 2 mm-hmm. episode that I think I was having a hard time because I'm not used to, I play a lot of games where you're either attacking or dodging, not doing yeah. both at the same time.
1: Yeah, we mentioned like. I think um, that
3: kind of carried through to this, where I'm like, all right, I have to think about both of these things. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like using a shield and then waiting. I, I Ocarina of Time both is
1: <laughs> a good <laughs> example time, of that, yeah. where you're just like, all right, attack my shield. Okay, now I'll hit you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, it's definitely. It's, it's a little bit more. uh
0: fast-paced in that regard mm-hmm. i struggle with the n64 gamepad back in the day too right because it's the way you mm. sort of are supposed to hold it for like the majority of games it's like asymmetrical in your hands and and like so the control schemes are kind of built around this divisive flawed thing you know but uh kind of like the wii u uh, even though those are like two of my favorite consoles you know they're sort of Uh, unique and they make you your brain hurt sometimes but uh like for this i played on a on an xbox one controller so i cheated and that's how i managed to get to the no but uh (laughs) you know like playing it on a switch is probably different than the the 64 game pad i imagine if i yeah
1: it's it's actually it's worse because they're only it's a it's a minor thing but um because they have they have like L and R mapped as the same button. Oh While yeah, in Star Fox you actually you are you using R and Z. So yeah. when you're playing it on the Switch it maps it to where one is like the back trigger and one is the bumper and and then what? The, yeah, it's like because it's just this copy and pasting the same, <laughs> you know, and in like another game like in Ocarina of Time or something that might not be as big of an issue. But uh, there's no way to, like, remap the buttons. So if I could have, I would like to. But it worked, you know, it worked okay. Like, once I I would just get my fingers in the right place and kind of remember that after a level. Um, and it worked pretty good. Like, I, I played through it a few times on break. But the the ideal way to play it when I was going back on Switch is getting one. Uh, McKenna actually gifted me a N64 Switch controller, which... Then made it feel nice. like that's like, then I had the right feeling, you know, you, it yeah. is a weird wonky controller, but like, I think just cause I grew up with it and played it so much. It's like, it feels like, it feels like home <laughs> when I play yeah. it. I'm like, this is the controller I know.
0: <laughs>
1: I Always don't need that to... left side.
0: <laughs> there was a cool like 3DS port remaster remake, mm-hmm. you know, where, uh, I imagine it was pretty unique to play it on that with those those thumbsticks, um the way they felt but it they gave it like a quite a facelift right did you guys ever try that
1: no i wanted to, that was one thing i i kind of wanted to um grab a copy maybe we still will eventually because you know i'm, I'm a big uh zelda fan and i and it seems like they kind of gave it a similar facelift to exactly. ocarina of time which was a great yeah. remake so i don't know maybe down the pipe sometime we'll we'll probably like do a bonus episode on it or something, but we just didn't have, well, I just didn't have it. And I I was like, well, i I could order it, but then, you know what I mean? I, I I wanted to give it its due. If we're going to talk about it, I just didn't want to like jam it in there, you know? Yeah. But yeah, we definitely have to try that one out for sure. Um, Jamie, you said you had a lot of notes on the difficulty. Was there anything else that you, (laughs) I want to make sure we cover all your difficulty. Um, (laughs) issues or yeah, set, 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 Setbacks. Yeah, that's
2: cool. Um, Another thing more, more to do with the camera because I, I don't actually see this in many games like even till today. It's not so much a difficulty thing but it can be a little off-put to people. So if you I think the ship starts on the left hand side of the screen and if you move it to the right the camera will compensate for that, and it will remain on the right hand side of the screen. And there's a lot of modern games now where you can effectively switch shoulder like in Rogue Company or something mm. so you can see around corners. but but this does it dynamically, and it can throw some people off depending on what side of the screen you're on. you know, think of it like in a in an Fps. The character in a first-person shooter in Evening GoldenEye is always right-handed. The gun is always on the right-hand side of the screen. It's never on the left-hand side of the screen. Star Fox is one of the first games I played where it allows the ship to go from one side to the other dynamically. Mm -hmm. And the only other game I've seen do that recently is Horizon Zero Dawn on PlayStation, which is if you move the character far enough, the camera will just kind of catch up. But just back to difficulty... With some people, you could get stuck with that giant laser beam on your screen with the ship in the bottom right-hand corner, which makes it feel like a mirror of what you've been doing for the entire game. Um, and it's a seamless kind of blend into that state as well.
1: Yeah. I did think that the camera... that That is one thing, though, that fe- it felt pretty good for, like, um, just in the context of what we've been playing, too. Like, a lot of games we're seeing, like, try to adapt to this new kind of, like, like 3D style of games, and this is another one that it kind of felt like it did a better job sort of uh, handling that. I guess, too, they they sort of have the benefit of a lot of the levels are, you know, on a fixed path, you know, so it's not like you're changing yeah, view like a moving around, but I feel like it does, like, feel like a full 3D game, especially with the all-range mode, you know? Did you? Did yeah, you? Really th- yeah. I know when we were playing, we were playing some of the uh, Star Fox Two. I think on SNES there was like kind of the all range mode in that, and it's mm-hmm. I think one of the first times I saw you play one of those more open levels. It seemed like the getting the camera lining up with the you know sort of where you're mm-hmm. shooting. Yeah. That seemed like kind of a like a tricky thing for you to get used to. Like, did you? Yeah. Do you feel that at all in this game?
3: Um, maybe not as much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels it a little bit a
3: little better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They kind of honed it a little bit more for sure. And all, ra- all range mode was a bit, a little bit wilder in the, in Star Fox too. This is, it's a bit more t- toned down in this game.
3: You know what? You've just, you just reminded me of the, the maneuvers that they've added in oh, this the game. New, you've the got new maneuvers. Yeah. Uh, the somersault and the U turn. The the U turn is exclusive to the all range, because you it lets yeah, you uh, you know like flip backwards. around and yeah turn around.
1: I'm sure there's like um, did did uh, you guys like get into using those types of moves a lot? I often actually really wouldn't wouldn't use them as much. Maybe I would do better if I mastered them more.
0: Coming back to the game recently after so many years, I found the break to be useful. Yeah. As a kid, I wouldn't have touched that probably. I would have thought, like, oh, (laughs) I accidentally hit the break, but it's really useful. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's useful in, like, the underwater level, right? Where you can't, like, avoid certain stuff. So you can play with timing, I think. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I definitely found myself using the break, but otherwise, maybe just the somersault when it, really made sense to do it
2: yeah it forces you into the somersault as well doesn't it when you get to the edge of the level Mm -hmm. that that was probably the time i did it the most it does the u-turn because i went out of bounds (laughs) and that's the only way that you know that you went out of bounds was it triggers that animation yeah
1: yeah i would do that um it seems like it would be uh, a lot more useful in uh some of the multiplayer Mm -hmm. levels i think but um Yeah, like there's the times where they want you to like backflip and be behind an enemy, but I would also just break and, you know, (laughs) let them go by me (laughs) and shoot them. I I didn't need to be flashy about it. Uh, Same thing, I think in the Star Wolf fight, they want you to be flipping around and stuff, but I would just do a hard right or left turn and and maybe break a little bit and turn to line my shots up if I could. Um, That was one other section too with the, like, I had one of those like things that was like difficult for me where I was the whole game. I had sort of been figuring that using the lock on was like one of the best ways to kill enemies because oh, it, yeah. it sort of blows them up and it, it's obviously it locks on, you know? So I, if I, if I had just a couple to take out, I would always be doing that. So I was trying to do that against star wolf and it was like not effective at all comparatively to just shooting like, rapid fire shooting my lasers at them and i i like wouldn't even try that option for the longest time i was just like well i guess this is just impossible you know and then i i was like i think i looked it up and i just read yeah just shoot them with your lasers and i did it and it was like oh it was actually very i wouldn't say easy but (laughs) it felt extremely easy compared to the like six times i failed (laughs) prior so that was one thing where i was like i could have used peppy like just blast them or something. <laughs> Help me out here. Well, we just mentioned the multiplayer. I mm-hmm. think that's actually one of the things about it, too, that's like this is really taking advantage of, you know, the promise of the N64, the the four-player uh, aspect of it. It's, it doesn't feel like the most, like, fleshed-out multiplayer mode, I think, like, yeah. comparatively. I don't know. Did, did either of you get a chance to actually play some multiplayer recently, or, like, do you have like,
0: I guess, a uh, history with the multiplayer. I mean, I grew up with you know, two I... sisters and a brother, so I definitely played back in the day, but I haven't touched it in years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And for, for me, it was always like um, battle zone kind of modes, you know, in Mario 64 with the balloons and things like that. So if it, at the time, it was those kind of levels, you know, very similar to what it might be in this but recently I've not touched it kind of at all um you know in the past it would almost be like a pass the pad kind of scenario we we'll play a single player but when somebody dies pass the pad to the next person and that was effectively our multiplayer kind of experience
1: honestly I think that's like I mean I had fun we had fun we did it for um a game night in our discord and we had we had four people playing so it it was ideal I mean obviously it's not the same as in person but the NSO multiplayer actually works fairly decent with that, and it was a lot of fun, especially because we I I had never really played it that way. Like the most I had ever ex- experienced, it was past the pad in general, which I think is it's the best way, just because that's where the game shines. I think, but I don't know. I thought actually the multiplayer was still it was still pretty fun. It definitely doesn't. It's not. It doesn't reach the highs of like uh, Mario Kart. Or or golden eye, but uh, I don't know. You had you had fun playing, right?
3: Yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. Uh, that's that's where I was really using a lot of the, a lot of the maneuvers we were just oh, talking yeah. <laughs> about, and uh, yeah, it was fun to just fly around and shoot it shoot at people. <laughs>
1: pretty pretty basic modes, but I think just the fact that it was like it was a workable and fairly fun multiplayer that you could play with four people, like compared to I don't know, some, there's some other games we've had where it's like, the, there's not like that exciting of multiplayer, so, just that it had something and it had a couple different modes, you could pick your favorite, um, that mm-hmm. was pretty fun, but they don't mm-hmm. really, each one has, it's like, pick that and here's two stages you can play on, and, and the stages really aren't, you know, it does. it's more just aesthetic, really, so.
3: Well, this is where you can actually play as the other characters, Yeah, depending on what
1: you don't get to pick. You don't, yeah, you
3: don't get to pick. It's it's whatever, you know, port you plug to your controller into. You like have a to set strategize, player, make sure you get the or, right you know. controller <laughs> port.
1: Yeah. See, oh, I guess we should also, another big feature that comes along with this is, this was the first Rumble Pack mm-hmm. <laughs> compatible yeah. game. Uh, uh, Jamie, Jay- was that a big deal to you uh, back? Well, it was because you didn't want to pay for the game did you did you ever experience it with that rumble
2: yes i mean this was later down the line so i used to see um we used to have a shop called Woolworths, and apparently, apparently that's reviving soon anyway but uh they used to have the giant box in there and obviously that came with the rumble pack as i said earlier it was extremely expensive but i ended up buying the rumble pack separately later down the line and by that point most n64 games that were arriving pretty much came with rumble pack functionality kind of built in at that point. Um, Mm. But I probably didn't play any game with the rumble pack, maybe for the first 18 months or so, you know, something like that. But then coming back to this, you know, even with just the simple kind of boost charge, you know, the, the, the the firing up the, you know, the flares of the the ship and things that was pretty cool. But at the time it, it was just something that you plugged into the controller and it was always annoying to me that you'd have to switch it out for a memory pack if the game didn't save the save data to the to the you know, the cartridge. Mm-hmm. So that was my memory of the rumble pack more so than how it felt. You know, just this this annoying attachment you had to keep swapping.
1: Yeah, I, I that's the one thing I really don't like is just having to switch
0: all this. And some of them feel like heavier. I think this was the first game I ever had. So I played like Mario 64 for like a year or whatever it was and then got Star Fox with the Rumble Pack. Um, I never owned a memory card. So like if it had to, you know, be played in one <laughs> yeah. sitting, so be it, you know, which meant I would never finish it probably. But I played a lot of games that, you know, Nintendo built the save system into the cartridge or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. I just kind of took the rumble for granted, you know, on Mm -hmm. Goldeneye or whatever else, like, had support for it. I just kind of left it in the main Player One controller forever. And, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I like the immersive, you know, if you're being shot at, you kind of feel the sense of danger in Star Fox, you know? Oh, yeah. In other games, it might be like, this sort of power fantasy where like when link is charging like a, a sword attack or in golden eye, if you're shooting, you know, you, you rumbles like in a sort of positive, you know, badass way. Whereas yeah. in star Fox, I associate it with like, Oh, I'm going to die. I'm about to explode or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. We actually were, we're, um, going to be actually talking about some of the promotional material for this in a bonus episode, uh, with our with our pal ryan and in one of the the promotional the promotional tape for this they were talking about the rumble pack and yeah they were hyping up like yeah when you get hit you feel it when you (laughs) die you feel it and i feel like that's such a that's not like a nintendo thing as much now (laughs) to be like Like, we're going to really make you notice when you lose, you know? It feels like they would not want to reinforce that as much now. You know, they would be like, no, it's only when you do cool stuff. Star Fox is unique in some ways for Nintendo in that some of these games are, like, pretty, pretty tough compared to, like, their other franchises, you know? I guess, like, Metroid is the only other one that I think is, like, they really go for it with the difficulty. Mm. what uh, what did you think with the rumble i mean we only we only did it a little bit really because i um i don't know we'll probably do it more with first of all i have like a bajillion rumble packs i Mm -hmm. told the story um on a previous episode how um after after my grandfather passed my dad came back with a bunch of stuff of his that he's like this is this is probably stuff that like he would want you to have and and i have this like laundry hamper that has, like, four Nintendo 64s in it. I don't know what works. Like, he didn't keep... Like, they're in horrible condition. And then it had, like, three rumble packs, and some were, like, off... They weren't even, like, mad, mad cats. I don't even know what company this is. So one thing I had to do... And a bunch of memory cards. And so I was like, okay, sweet. Uh, So we were trying... We were putting batteries in different... Some are, like, corroded, like, crazy, you know? So it took me a while to, get, to find out, like which one worked and then it at first didn't work but now now it works so we didn't actually like play much of the game with the rumble pack because i was like fiddling with all these old um mm-hmm. accessories but uh i don't know what did you what did you think
3: i feel like by the time i started playing games that was just like that was just it like granted. a thing yeah like <laughs> it was just like it was it was never like a new thing to video games for me it was just a thing that i had in video games always um but yeah i definitely i felt like uh the rumble is what let me know that i got hit in (laughs) starbucks that was that was my feeling with it
1: great i'm hit again
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
1: they did i don't know there was something about yeah yeah you you were Mm -hmm. like kind of more on the next generation of consoles where it was like uh, f- like a lot started, they started building them into the controllers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But y- yeah. there was something like, yeah, kind of, you mentioned like charging link sword and Ocarina of time. There's something like kind of uh, magical about it almost to the point where, you know, an Ocarina of time, it's a, it's an item you get, you know, you, you get the, the stone of agony or whatever. And like, there was, I don't know, just like walking around the world and like feeling like a little, shake and, like, what's that? You know, like, I don't know. They found, like, creative... Now, I, like, I kind of think it should, for a lot of games, not be something you notice as much, but there was, like, an ex- extra, like, spice to it back then, for sure. Mm-hmm. Some of the... We t- we talked about the bosses overall, but uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, I think, that the way they... How they presented, like, the whole game, really, kind of uh, all comes together at the end, because... There is this, you know, they have the final Andross boss, but there there's like so many different ways. I didn't even realize there's like so many different like versions of that boss, which was something present in the original Star Fox. But there's like I think like three different fights that you can experience with him, which I thought was like even now, I think that's kind of (laughs) crazy that it's like you could beat it. But it's like you didn't really get the actual final boss, you know, or maybe you did. I don't know. Jamie, you just had like you just had like the regular face. Is that what you had?
2: Yeah. Yeah. In my version, it was kind of like what I would consider the Wizard of Oz kind of style. It's just this giant kind of monkey kind of thing. But um, I, I hadn't checked it since. But now that you mentioned that, I, I might be wrong, but isn't there a version that's like not a robot, but it's almost like a skeleton kind of version or something? It's, yeah, it's I might be brain. That wrong. Yeah. 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 That's it. So he's seeing something that's inside of him. Yeah. I I didn't get that in this playthrough, but I just remember it. But it's the same thing I said, like, towards the start. It's just that even just hearing that, you know, we both got to a boss. And you had a different experience to me, even though we thought we were both talking about the same thing. That's pretty cool. You know, it's
0: like the playground kind of secrets kind of stuff. I had Wizard of Oz in my notes as well, because I think the backdrop is green for that first phase of the fight where it's like it's a facade, you know. And then underneath, after you kind of uh, beat him once, he he either turns into like a robot looking (laughs) version, which I didn't see this time, or the... The brain that just has like the the floating eyeballs on <laughs> it Sort of oh, looks like a gnarly, pod racer yeah. from Star Wars or something <laughs> yeah. and, and of course it's reminiscent of Ocarina of Time uh, Because it not only does it change for like a completely new phase of the boss But then you have that like organ music like you do with uh, Ganondorf I think So yeah it is a very kind of signature Koji Kondo kind of uh fight theme there after you get to at least the second phase i think the first part it's um more sound effects and and ambient noise right Than yeah music sort of his like distant laughter behind the curtain or whatever <laughs> uh it's really cool i mean great sound effects and uh it's the, like it's a definitely a vibe <laughs> there's there's like some yeah. motion things that happen where the hands move and it sort of does a trail delay like not motion blur but like you know what i'm talking about where it sort of echoes oh. visually Yeah, it's like da, 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 da. it's yeah. all trippy looking <laughs> i don't know it just adds to that sense of what you're seeing as an illusion and you know all he is underneath is this brain basically and um yeah i don't know there's there's some fun stuff going on there do you fight him
3: uh i think i just watched you fight you watched me okay <laughs>
1: i think the first time we played it we just got the we just got like the you just fight his face and i feel like that it's there's some tricky aspects to it but like the i really think actually like the robot phase in the higher difficulty isn't isn't really i don't know if that one was too much harder but it did have it actually had the same effect as um ganondorf and ganon and ocarina of time and it genuinely surprised me maybe because i didn't know but like where I I was like fighting him and I'm like, whew, I you know, I beat him, but then he ex- he explodes into this robot and he's he's still going. You know, it, it kinda really did make it feel like Oh, he's he's not giving up the 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 he's here for one final, you know, attempt to, to kill me. And then in the the hardest one where he turns into the brain and you gotta fight him, I actually it actually like gave me that gave me a lot of trouble uh the first time I played it and and, and I also had that same experience of losing, you know, my power ups and you kind of have to refly oh, yeah. to him. And if you don't pick the right path, you might not get you had to, like, remember which path had, like, the good power ups. So, yeah, sometimes I do my retry on him. And I'm like, whoops, I went the wrong way and I didn't pick up anything
0: good. I wrote uh, and- the leftmost path in my notes that if you go as far left as you can in the hard path, I think that's where you get all the bombs oh okay and and then bombs become really important yeah yeah certain and certain enemies is
1: like the game does i think at least do a good job of like uh replenishing like giving you an opportunity to replenish your health or bombs in some situations like this one had you know he spits out the rocks so you can kind of i'd actually like it's become a strategy where i'll like sit there and let him try to suck me in just so i can like fill up my bombs to max when uh and then take him down, you know, without having to worry about it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, that was great, like, the way you could experience that. And then I we already talked about it, but that final sequence when you do get the ending where you're escaping with your dad, it was kind of, like, tripping me out, actually, a little bit. Like, it felt like, like, is this really happening? Is this real? You know, I felt like I was in, like, it was like a weird dream state you know like you you've beat this guy and now your dad just shows up and he's like i don't know there's something tripping me out about it i can't quite put my finger on it but it was it made for a really cool and like climactic ending for sure when you're flying out of there uh you talked you talked about sort of just like the extra level of like i guess polish or like Mm -hmm. just like the epic nature of it it felt like a big step up compared to like um, Shadows of the Empire, which is a game we previously had, where, you know, a lot of the cutscenes on the N64 are kind of just like the little comic book kind of panels, which are alright, but then the game just sort of, it feels like it sort of just ends, you know? And this has, you can, I don't know, you can see a lot of, like, crossover between this and Ocarina of Time, which also ends with this big castle escape and, you know, like, gives it kind of this epic sort of, like, uh, final act of like running out of there and you know running away from the explosions and stuff so it really ends at a it, it's it is like a little movie uh, as as you said before it's extremely like cinematic and climactic
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I like that mario star fox and ocarina all three of them have this sort of celebration sequence at the end too which yes. is kind of a star wars type thing you said earlier um but yeah just that notion of like oh we've been on this adventure and in ocarina you sort of see all the characters and um things like oh, that yeah. and and you get that with the uh you know the general the dog he like invites <laughs> you to join the army or whatever <laughs> you're just like we yeah. like to do things our own way or whatever you know kind of maverick <laughs> ideas you sort of run off into the sunset but i like yeah, that. We're a bunch we're...
1: of han solos here yeah or, uh, what's the shadows <laughs> guy again I don't uh, remember his name now.
0: Dash Rendar,
1: Dash, yeah, yeah, or yeah. a bunch of Dash Rendar's animal Dash Rendar's, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I I do like that. Like everyone at the end, uh, like just some of the even very cool. Like they look like they could be like uh, opening, like or, like anime credits shots. when they're like running with the great fox mm-hmm. peeking on the horizon in the
0: background. It's I love that. Yeah,
1: it's mm, yeah. The
0: There's a screen, there's like a credit screen where it says Nintendo 1997 and I wrote in my notes or somewhere like hardest credit screen of all time. Like they they were so (laughs) proud of this game and they should be because it's very polished as you guys have said. Um, But yeah, I also like, I think part of the reason it's so memorable is you sort of talk about the way the ending leaves you kind of to interpret it for yourself you know it's the the top spinning and in inception or whatever like was that really him or was that like your sort of inner like i need to to move past this shadow of my you know dead father and become a hero instead of the angry adolescent or whatever but um yeah i think that's why this game is probably as memorable for me as it is, is this notion of like So was he alive or what? You know, and they don't really give you that in this game anyway. So it's just sort of this timeless, uh, fun little conversation piece, I guess. Yeah, because I
1: don't I don't know if that's even something they like intend. Not that it matters, but I don't know if they're even intend that. You know, I think they're just like and then the dad. Maybe I'm not giving them credit, but you know what I mean? I think it's just something that comes out of like the way a game from that time period is presented, you know, like. It's it's not gonna have like these full cutscenes necessarily with them like talking to his dad or anything, but
0: yeah, I don't know. Like subjectively, it's like he's definitely there leading me out of the maze. And then (laughs) as soon as you sort of get to victory and it says mission accomplished, Fox is looking around like where the hell is he? And then you know that's it. So yeah, it's it's a fun way to play with like that viewpoint. You know, it's sort of a from from our point of view, like he, he definitely was there, right? But um you know none of the other characters like peppy doesn't (laughs) talk to hey old friend you know yeah there's no like holy
1: cow you know they just like he's not at the ceremony as far Mm -hmm. as i can tell (laughs) there's probably a
0: a game theory out there about this or something (laughs) right (laughs) a a great reddit thread to extrapolate like every little bit of evidence from throughout the game Mm but I don't know if you guys have seen the movie top gun recently, but his whole Mm. backstory in that is that his father was killed in action and he doesn't know anything about it because it was like some classified, you know, military operation or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's sort of the big catharsis near the end of top gun after, you know, everything is like gone to hell is the, his superior officer tells him like, your dad was a hero. He saved all these lives. And it's like, okay, now I can move past this and become the new hero, the the maverick I want to <laughs> be or whatever, right? Like that kind of... So I feel like it's sort of that. It's this, the storytelling mechanism there of uh, just sort of getting over <laughs> whatever, that sort of baggage of the, the mysterious father who was away at work or whatever, right? I think there's also something to it that, um, like, this wasn't a big
1: game for me necessarily at the time, uh, but it's something that I think, like, in a similar way that uh ocarina of time kind of spoke to me as as a kid at that age where um so much of like what all the characters are talking about is like about you maturing in in ocarina of time they're specifically like everyone's like it's about like all the characters you know as a kid and them like being like oh you're gonna like you're going to be a man someday you're going to grow up and be it's like you're going to be a big boy mm-hmm. you know what i mean and i think like as an 8 year old or whatever i was like yes i will be a big boy someday <laughs> <laughs> i think uh that there's a little bit of that too you know like growing up and being like being like your dad you know and like living up to um yeah. hi, living up to him especially when you have one of his like colleagues there, you know, being sort yeah. of the the voice of the encouragement, you know. Anything else we want to touch on?
3: You can get medals each mission by shooting down enough enemies. And yeah, those will yeah. allow you to like unlock certain things. I think some of the multiplayer stuff can be unlocked this oh, way. And,
1: yes, we need to do that. Because uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna have that another game night based mm-hmm. around this. And we're talking about like, oh we gotta unlock some of the can you unlock, like, the, like, tanks in multiplayer? The Landmaster, I guess, I should say?
3: Um, or am I, I wrong? I don't know. I haven't... Wow. Well, I don't but... know if that you could use... I don't know if there are any multiplayer maps that would let you use that.
1: Yeah, I think maybe you unlock it in, like, the tank level. That might be what I'm thinking of. But, yeah, that, that, that is cool. The medals. I think that's another way, you know, encourage. It has a lot of, like, it's infinitely re- replayable, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I've played... I think it's, like, the right size. You can play in one sitting if you have a lot of time on your hands. Not A ton of time, though. Um, And, like, I don't know. I've played it already, like, ten times this month, and I, I like, could totally sit down and play it again. Um, Yeah, it's just, like, an infinitely replayable game.
2: I'm not sure if there's a better game on N64 that you can play from start to finish in a single set in a single Mm you know, session or single sequence. There's other games where you can make lots of good progress, but to go from start to finish, maybe you don't play the game the same way every single time, or even if you take the same route, you find out a little trick that you didn't realize before. I think it's incremental. And uh, it reminds me of kind of like modern roguelikes, you know, when you get things like FTL on Steam and stuff like that. And uh, just to touch upon that, there's a game called um, Cobalt Core, at the moment and it's a ftl roguelike style game there's a lot of people that are saying it's the modern kind of Star Fox. it's basically the best Star Fox game around that isn't actually starfox uh using a license so you'll see it's kind of pixelated Ooh. characters they're in space um and uh yeah i, I think lots of the stuff that's in Star Fox and you know lilac was has definitely left its mark but it's the type of game that seems to be the norm for deck builders and roguelikes kind of these days even though they're not necessarily all star wars kind of based
1: oh yeah for sure uh i th- i think there were even in our last i can't remember the name of the game now i wrote it down but in our last episode where we talked about the snes games uh it was a, a different game was also brought up uh i have to re-listen to that one but i, I mean i'm sure there's like a bajillion games that kind of i, oh, I wrote it down you my, wrote it down
3: on my list Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, we got yeah, it on ex, a list somewhere. ex Zodiac. ex
1: Zodiac. Nice. Okay. So yeah, the, I yeah you can kind of see it in its influence all over. It seems so. Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to dive into those. I think too, and maybe some bonus ones. Mm-hmm. Alex, how about you? Do you have any uh, like final things
0: you wanted to say about the game before we get out of here? Um, I think I've touched on pretty much everything. Those are mm-hmm. my notes. You know, it's sort of the. Promethean mad scientist figure who's sort of responsible for all this. And um, you sort of mop him up and get to say goodbye to your dad or hello to your dad, whichever kind of interpretation you prefer. And then <laughs> um, I like the star wolf being sort of the mirror shadowy mirror version of yourself, totally. kind of like dark link, you know, or you see that trope and all kinds of stuff. But um, just on a more basic level, I Love that it's a first-party sort of triple A sort of Nintendo game. That yeah, you can beat it in two or three hours, and I, I just think we don't really see that a lot these days from totally. the Nintendos and Xboxes and Playstations of the world, right? It's like people want these like ninety-hour games, and I'm just like uh, can't really relate to those people very much, <laughs> you know? I, like I love uh, if if a game if I love a game enough to play ninety hours of it or nine hundred hours of it like I'll do that anyway, but if I can finish it the first time in four or five hours, you know, that's uh, I love that and miss that. Um, yeah. I think that's what's cool about it is, yeah, it encourages repetition and replayability as opposed to a 90 hour game that you'd never <laughs> want to think about again. Maybe, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it's, I, I agree with you. Like there's,
1: there's a lot of games that like, um, like where I'll spend even more than 90 hours in it. And it's like, it oh, yeah. is perfectly like tuned for that experience, but there's a, there's definitely a lot of games you play, and it's like this is, I don't know if this was really meant to be this long. Like you know, like Star Star Fox for sure is like, like I I actually gravitate more towards games like that, but I'm happy f- to play games of all lengths. You know, I don't want to write off any game because of its length, short or right. long. But like some games, like Star Fox, is exactly the length it needs to be like, it's the exact perfect size game for what it's, what it's doing, you know? And I wanted to, I, I forgot to mention after all the, all those credits, I love you get that little stamp certificate of achievement as very satisfying. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I about that. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to imagine like that happening, um, on, on this episode, <laughs> uh, at the <laughs> end of it.
0: It's time for us
1: to go now. Yeah, no, this is a great, this is, it was a great game to talk about. It was great for us, uh, personally we like we experienced it playing its predecessors and it was really cool to see it evolve and kind of come together like using elements from both games and all three of them that we talked about kind of had their own uh thing about them that makes them like stand on their own is like there's something to go to each of those games for while also like kind of building upon the previous game so it's just been a cool series uh i don't you know, there's not really much more Star Fox uh, on N64. I don't think. I think there's just he's in Smash, but uh, so I don't think we're gonna be mm-hmm. like like on the main path talking about Star Fox for a long time. But I don't know. I'm I'm curious if we'll ever. We have no we have no like plans on what to do. But uh, you know, I'm kind of more interested now. In like some of the later games, that I just sort of miss like the GameCube games or whatever. Like I know there's some mm-hmm. that are spoken highly of, and I've played a little bit of you know some of them, but I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. I'm like really curious now about the series, so I don't know if I don't know. I might need to play some of them sooner, you know, <laughs> sooner than later. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, I guess it, for for you, Jamie or or Alex, like, uh, did. Is this a series you kind of stuck with? Like, did you play a lot of the games beyond this? No, Mm -hmm. I mean,
2: I didn't have a GameCube, unfortunately. And then anything that was kind of after that, I I don't know if I would say I kind of grew out of it because it's ironic that I've gone back to it recently and I absolutely love the game. But I just wonder if the... I grew out of the playful, talking caricature kind of characters, you know, Diddy Kong Racing... Mm -hmm. Space Station, Silicon Valley, there's a whole bunch of games that all just had effectively, you know, N64 versions talking Muppets. You know, it's like Sesame Street. And I just wonder if there was a a certain age, you know, maybe up to 11 or 12 year old, it was great. The period of where they started making the sequels, I was probably too far out of it at that point. And then now I'm kind of revisiting it because it's a nostalgic kind of curio more
1: than anything else. Alex did you did you stick with it much or you know so
0: I mostly just played the 64 Mm -hmm. one over and over as a kid and then when Zero came out on Wii U I was kind of sounded like you were the same way like tried it was kind of like bummed out by it uh, bounced off a little bit and then um, but I always I never had a GameCube and so I always wanted to play like those weirder there's like the one where you're on foot and it's sort of like Began life as a different game, and they sort of grafted <laughs> it was, Star like Fox a Zelda onto game it.
1: basically like style Yeah, wise,
0: yeah, yeah. So I, I would love to play that. I think it's called Star Fox Adventures, mm-hmm. maybe in North America. Yeah. And then there's like one on one of the handhelds that I think is sort of remembered fondly Command, on, I think uh,
1: was one right, or there's a salt that
0: sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Mean, hopefully, we'll yeah. have to get into those someday someday yeah i'm <laughs> definitely curious to try those on on some platform but well if we ever yeah. cover them I'll, you know i gladly would love to have uh
1: both you guys back on like this is a great episode like i really appreciate That's you coming on here i i actually had a i had a similar experience um to what you were talking about jamie with the aging where where i was probably in around the same age like a, a teenager where i was like i didn't want to be viewed at as a kid and i think i tried adventures and there's cut scenes with goofy talking animals and i was like you know i I don't know what the word at the time would have been but i was like this is cringe you know and i I turned it off (laughs) but it's probably (laughs) a good game actually i've heard good things so um but yeah if we ever cover stuff like that uh it would be great to have you both back on uh we really appreciate you coming on this is a great great episode and yeah you're great to have on
2: yeah Uh,
1: i like so much (laughs) our next episode we're doing is a it's another two-pack episode um we're gonna be talking about the game dark rift and tetrasphere so fans of those mm-hmm. games we <laughs> get ready uh jamie jamie if you if you want to go first uh what would you do you want to promote anything any plugs
2: um more than anything else i'm just more on twitter and blue sky that's pretty much it for me um i'm at smithstock so at uh, s-m-i-t-h-s-t-0-c-k um not much to promote other than just that i i talk about game design and you know what what games i'm playing uh most recently metroid red awesome
0: so that's it love that game (laughs) uh alex how about you Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm on Twitter mainly and then other places as well as like Alex J Kane, K A N E. And then, um, I wrote the boss fight books entry on star Wars Night Sealed Republic a few years ago. So, um, I always mentioned that I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've done, I've written various things. Like there's a, a recent documentary on IGN about the history of Bethesda RPGs and the way their design has evolved and, so that was a fun project, but yeah. Awesome. And, and, uh, do you have the the podcast too, right? Yeah. And then I have the end poem podcast, yes. which I occasionally interview a developer, sort of like a career spanning interview, like for 30 minutes or an hour, you know, tell us about how you got into games and, and, and tell us about, you know, what it's like to actually work in the industry. And, um, season two is hopefully going to start coming out soon. And I interviewed, uh, Casey Hudson, the creator of mass effect. Ooh. Um, you're getting the exclusive on this. No one knows oh. this. So. <laughs> Shoot, <that's laughs> uh, so, um, you know, hopefully that turned out well, I was really nervous and uh, I, yeah. that was the first, first interview I did for the whole podcast, um, months and months ago. So right. we'll see how it goes. Awesome. But, right. uh,
1: yeah. Makes thank it you. To hear it. Very cool. Uh, McKenna, you
0: want to promote anything?
3: Uh, listen to this
1: podcast.
3: Yeah, listen to this podcast. <laughs>
1: we're also on Zelda Dungeon dot uh, net, the Legend of Zelda fan site. We're over there playing. We have we have some like, uh, we actually have something coming up. I I don't want to say too much, but we're gonna kind of do like a goofy with with the four of us that are that are on a lot of the videos. We're gonna do kind of like a a silly group let's play of um, Ocarina of Time actually. So. Uh, It's just going to provide us with another, um, test experience for, Mm -hmm. uh, ways to experience that game on (laughs) N64. So, um, yeah, check that out. But, uh, otherwise, uh, we got to thank, well, actually we got to thank the other people who are going to be in that video. I just talked about, um, Corey Richmond, who also does our art for the show, our logo and all that. Uh, Nico, who did the music. Uh, thank you so much. Um anyone out there who can you know rate review us on whatever podcast platform you can uh someone recently gave us gave us a five-star review and it helped bump us up uh from some unfairly negative reviews that we won't get into but uh uh so you can make a difference with just one five-star rating and review um otherwise you can you can listen to this on youtube and do all the stuff there like subscribe and like and all that stuff you're supposed to do we're on twitter blue sky instagram uh flashback 64 on all that stuff uh we got merch on an etsy now so we have two shirts we have pins now mm-hmm. we got a lot of we got a lot of crap uh <laughs> patreon you can go give us a <laughs> buck on patreon we'll give you a cool yellow name we, we don't have much to offer right now but we appreciate we do have uh, a handful of patrons who are who are giving us a buck a month and it's you know it helps out for sure mm-hmm. um and yeah we g- discord we have game nights in our discord so uh we try to you know if it, it we're mostly well actually we have we have like casual game nights where we play whatever we've been playing lethal company with our friends but um we try to do like a monthly one where we play something that we can play together on NSO. And it's been, mm-hmm. it's been pretty fun so far. We usually get at least four, four people to come and we got to play Star Fox. We've done it again another month. Um, we are coming up soon to GoldenEye. So we'll probably play some GoldenEye multiplayer uh, for game night pretty soon. So if you want to be mm-hmm. a part of that, uh, our discord is it, the link is in the description. Um, and you can talk to us. We have some fun conversations in there. So, uh otherwise, yeah. Thank again, Jamie, Alex. Thank you for coming. It's been a great episode. Uh thanks everyone for listening and we will see you when we talk about Dark Rift and Tetrasphere.
2: I admit Defeat. Yeah. Very kind of humble, honestly.